Welcome back to Absurdity. Today's going to be a fun one. I am excited about this. Um, and I get to be... Uh, I, I love Absurdity because... Really, I love podcasting in general because I feel like this is where I don't have to be as necessarily scripted. I get to... I get to be a lot more transparent with how I feel and um, and how I see things in my perspective, which also means that I get to let listeners in to my journey a little bit more uh, than, you know, on YouTube or Facebook or just general social media. So um, we're shedding a light on your transparency? Yes, absolutely. Right through it. Right through my transparency. Up on the screen, if nobody got that reference, you were not yeah. school in the 90s. Anyway. Um I love those things, by the way. I My high school math teacher used one of those instead of using a computer or TV screen or anything. He just used that and a marker board, and it was great. I also fell in love with his handwriting with a, with a dry erase marker, but that's either here nor there. There are some <laughs> people that, like, when they write with a dry on a dry erase board or a chalkboard, you're just like, you could just do this all day. I would pay to watch you write things. Okay, okay. with the marker, yes. With the chalk, no, because... No matter how the good they were, sometimes it would just screech. Oh no, that's why really we don't. Yeah. yeah, no, 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 no. We're we're muting the chalk. Don't worry, we're muting the chalk. Uh, yeah. Although the funniest thing with chalk, you're talking about a math teacher. When I was in high school, we had a Spanish professor, and he still had the chalkboard, and he yeah. never used the eraser. He always used his hands, and he was always wearing dark blue pants, and he would wipe his hands on his butt. So he would be teaching and then he'd just wipe and then he'd slap his butt with his hand or whatever to wipe it. And so he'd turn around to start writing again. He'd have handprints all over his butt. Right? Going wow. Down. <laughs> it was, wow. It was, so you can see I didn't learn any Spanish, but I remember that teacher. Mm -hmm. He was he was something else. Anyway. Um so what a great transition and segue into this. Um, I know. After that dust up, let's talk about actually using your influence in math or Spanish to make a difference. And actually, <laughs> not just in Spanish or English, but what are we talking about? Yeah. So we're using, we're, we're talking how to use your platform, how to use your voice effectively. Um, you know, Henry's platform is um, just his personality. Um, I'm just Aww. kidding. Your platform now <laughs> is, is a part of this podcast. Um, That's absurd. But I wanted to talk about this mainly because I think over the last, and Henry, you actually don't even know this yet, but I, I've been going through a bit of a, uh, not even a bit, a major paradigm shift over the last, I would say, month or two. Um, not in any way that's going to change the content of what we're doing necessarily, not, not anything like that. Just a paradigm shift for how I approach content creation and how I approach just using my own voice. And I realized that over the last several years, not since, not, not, not very since the very beginning of absurdity, but just over, I would say probably since 27, 2018, early 2018. Um, I think somewhere along the way, given the amount of knowledge I had with podcasting and content and um, the a demand that was the demand that was created by that knowledge and, and by my accessibility, I think I started to become entitled and a little bit angry. And it started to feel like every time someone came to me and asked me for advice or it just felt like I was owed something for the amount of work that I did and people would come to ask me questions and not give. And so I felt mm. like I was, oh, I felt like I was owed something. And what that did was created a resentment and B a monetization strategy on this show and across my content that really wasn't. Um, that was just more of a give me rather than a what can I give you. 
And I know that to be true, not because of what I offered. I know it to be true because of what I actually was able to deliver. And there's a lot of bonus content that I was never able to actually deliver. There was a lot of things that fell through. And um, and it was always doomed to fail when I came at it from that perspective. And over the last month or so, I've really been going through a, through a, a paradigm shift. And as I've been looking at you know new opportunities that have come my way as well, just in general. And I realized that I really do want to return to being a more generous person, a generous content creator and a generous, um, I guess, influencer, if you want to put it, if you, if you want to put that, put it that way. But, um, and so I really, that's why actually Henry, when we were talking about episode ideas, that's why I suggested this to you was right alongside that paradigm shift, because what I want to do is, um, what I want to do is help listeners of this show figure out, Hey, how can you know, how can I use my voice or my platform or my influence effectively? And you don't actually have to have a big platform or following, I think, to do that. But for me, and I can tell you this right now as, as proof of this idea, I've actually disabled the advertising. Um, there's a, like, you can literally turn it on or off on our hosting platform that allows for, if you've heard ads that are like not normal Adventist ads, um, it's because of a ad, ad sales platform that our podcast host offers. And I've actually, I disabled that earlier this week. Um, and once a couple of contracts for who we, who, for some of our advertisers run out, I plan to not run another ad on this show ever again. Um, because I want to give this content. And if there are people that do want to donate in response to the content that they're receiving, because they see value in it, that's worth paying or whatever. Um, obviously like there will be when I can bonus content and there will be, you know, extra extras, maybe a video version of the show or whatever, or early access. But ultimately, um, I want to go back to the purity of, of what, of what this podcast has always or was and is. And I want to, and I want to make more space, uh, for generosity and just to give and give without feeling entitled to something in return, because honestly, anyone taking the time to listen and Henry, you taking the time to be on the show with me, um, that means that means more and it always should mean more than literally anything else. And I, and I think I finally kind of recaptured that and my love for this. So I, yeah, I just wanted to open with that. I know we just kind of jumped right in there, but that's what I meant by I get to be transparent here. So yeah, well, we're talking. And folks, yeah. that transparency and that heart is exactly how you influence people correctly. So thank you for listening to Absurdity this week. We hope that <laughs> yeah, this has been good, enjoyable to you. <laughs> just a short episode. We're also saving you time. You know, we really value this, this is this is for the five minutes drive you have from you know your house or your apartment complex or whatever to work. We we were getting complaints that these were too long, so there's your five minute nugget for the day. It's called Absurd Nuggets. Absurd new, Nuggets. <laughs> Absurd Nuggets. It's a new series starting just today, and, and be, ending today, ending <laughs> <laughs> like a bad McDonald's nugget. Anyway, so no. First of all, all jokes aside. First of all, thank you for that transparency, man. And and for that heart, I think that's it's not only a great introduction. I think it's just it's it's just a great segue into the topic right off the bat uh, about how do you use your platform, how do you use influence, and I, I think that'd be just a great place to start. Even talking about that is, I mean, what gains influence? Because people people ask, well, do I have influence, and what's my network? And um, first, you need to be aware of the influence you have before you can know what to do with it. 
and mm-hmm. I, and I think a lot of a lot of influence nowadays, and I think this is a good thing, but we're seeing it a lot more in social media and YouTubers and and, and other things. Is people are connecting to personalities that is dumb as the content may be, and by the way, absurdity is not dumb content, right? On but, occasion, on occasion. Oh, okay, on well, occasion. Yes. I mean, that's honestly, it's I'm built here for in. Comic, it's built in. It's comic relief. That's why I'm on now. But the the point is, right? People are connecting to people that are transparent with whatever's going on in their life, or, or at least are doing really good at show at appearing transparent. Or you know, I, I know that there's some that are scripted and stuff. I'm, I'm sure it's just like reality television isn't really reality TV. Yeah. But sorry if that just blew somebody's bubble, but it, that that's the case. But yeah, I, th- I think part of that is people want to know that they're getting some sort of form of authenticity. And that goes to that old adage, do you have positional influence or do you have relational influence? Right. And I think that's something we've discussed in many topics. Absurdities discussed for a while. It probably comes up whether we realize it consciously or not. Our, our world is shifting for the last 50 or 60 years. A lot of it was positional influence. Right. Your title is the pastor. Your title is vice president of whatever. Your title is you know, chief executive or CFO of whatever. And it's because of the title you were given, now you, quote, have influence over all the underlings or whatever else is connected to that. And it's shifting from that in our society to where we don't care what your title is. You could be president, ex-president. You could be pastor, not pastor. You know, I mean, podcasters and YouTubers, they don't necessarily have titles, but they have a lot more influence than people that run companies. Why? Because it's relational influence. Right. So I, I think I hope I'm making a crystallized point here. But no, the you point are. I'm trying to say is, is is when realizing your audience, the easiest way you're gonna have to realize, do I have influence and I need to know what my avenue of influence is to know how I should influence it or not, you need to start with what are the relationships you have in your life? Work, otherwise, whatever. But what is what is your key area of relationship? Because that, you know, and you might have a position too, and you need to think, do I have any sort of positional influence? But that, that's gonna be your two spheres to see. And hopefully there's some overlap. The most effective people, I think, have both a, a, a title and a relationship. But I think of the two, if you if I had to choose one, I, I've had a paradigm shift in the last several years, and it's re- relationship trumps office every single time. Mm. You know, my it's funny because uh, relationship trumps office is, is your saying. I actually looked this up to see if anyone has this already, and they haven't. So this is now mine. I This is my quote, and no one can take it from me. But I really have come around to the idea that conversation is influence, Mm. period. As long as it is a conversation. Now, a conversation has a very narrow definition here, right? Because a conversation is not, it it, it is a free-flowing exchange of ideas. But a conversation, I think the, the key difference between a conversation and an argument or even a debate is how much you value the other person. If you value them more than the topic, it's a conversation. If you value the topic more than them, it's not a conversation anymore. Mm, and it's that, that's interesting. That's interesting you say that because there's someone that actually they didn't verbalize it that way, but there's somebody I really respect that I think both of us are friends with that has really modeled that. And so if you're listening, shout out to you, Caleb Isley. Yep, absolutely. With, you know, uh, that's the first name that went to my head because I've actually sat on a couple other podcasts with him. Uh, we've had him on our, uh, back over on A Beautiful Faith, I think, at one point, or was that... I, I'm confusing them now. That was a, actually a different podcast both of you and I were on for, for something else, I believe. Yeah. And anyway, whatever wherever the podcast was, I remember we had something like that, and he was talking about that, where it's the investment in other people, and that it, it 
how did he word it? Now, man, that was that was a long time ago. We had that. That was a couple of years ago before a pandemic and everything. But he made some comment about what is it truly acceptance. Are, are you remembering yeah. this conversation? Yeah, where I he, think so. Where, yeah, where he and I had a brief disagreement. Caleb, yes. chime in. Yeah, you, know, you remember this? Yeah, uh, yeah, what does it mean to really accept people? And we had a back and forth, and then he like just—it sounds like it didn't make an impact because now I can't remember how he worded it. But uh, he he really shifted my paradigm there too, where he's like, "Well, what really is I- acceptance?" And he was kind of dealing with that that same point. He's like, "Are you more invested in the other person, you know, than yourself and the outcome, or are you doing them a favor by accepting this, or are they making a checklist that this thing can be here and this thing can be there?" And I was just—I I remember him saying that. I was just like, "Oh man." I know nothing about what it means to accept people. Yep. Right. And and that's and, and again, the reason that comes to my mind is that was another one of those things where I think he he cared. I know I'm reading into it, but having known Caleb long enough, I, I think this is true for those of us who know him. He obviously, I, I could tell he cared more about how I understood it and what I was going through in that part of the conversation. And so by the end of it, he influenced me. Yeah. And not just in like in a negative way, but like he he pulled me around to his point. And I don't and I and here's the way it happened. I know his point wasn't to change my mind. His whole point, when you, if you've ever talked to this guy, those of you who know him, you never get the feeling that the reason he's talking to you is to change your mind. He never you never see a different motive. And it's not no. that he's good at hiding it. He's actually a terrible liar. Um, yes. And this he's a good thing we love you, Caleb. His true motive. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm these yeah. are the these are compliments. <laughs> Yes, yes, and so and that's why it worked, and that goes right to what you were saying that con- that conversation is influence, but only if like the motive, and I, that just came to my mind. Well, and that's, Caleb, thank you for ministering to my heart and demonstrating that in the flesh. But that's why it just came yeah. back to my mind. And that's actually like I think that's why Caleb has gotten so far from just starting a Facebook page, you know, years ago, was because of who he is and how he values people. And what I love about this kind of definition of conversations is that it no longer relies on the other person being willing to participate. Mm. It is a conversation as long as you value them more than you value the topic you're talking about or anything else that's within that immediate context. So your time, your, you know, their attitude or your attitude or your patience, you know, whatever it is, as long as you value the other person more than whatever is happening, um, then it's a conversation. And well, isn't isn't this a biblical principle anyway? Doesn't Paul say we're to esteem others greater than ourselves? Yep. That's the kind of wonky yep. wording that he uses. It's not a principle we use very often as religious folk, because we tend to say, "Well, I'm valuing the truth over you," or "I'm valuing you know me being right over you." I mean, we're in a society where everything's "I'm right and you stink," and so <laughs> I approach it that way. But this is a countercultural method that, believe it or not, is influential. Why? Maybe because it speaks to the human condition the way we were programmed to work. Yeah, I mean, I think, and I am going to circle back around this, by the way, because I know that there's a, I know that there's a school of thought on like, okay, but like, what if that other person is being toxic to the point that like, you realize, you know, you, you, because you realize you need to walk away because I, what do you do in that situation? So I do want to circle back around to that. But I, I, the first thing I want to say here is like, you know, if keeping the conversation going is what matters, then I don't think all of us realize, I don't think pretty much any of us, and myself included here, realize the potential that we actually have. And, well, well, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, uh, today is apparently the day where my memory just starts bouncing all over the place with me- memories of people. What's the name of that gentleman that used to be 
what was it? He was in the Ku Klux Klan or something. Yeah, Daryl Davis. Yeah, I talked about him every you. episode. There's probably yeah, a, there's yeah. probably a reference to him every episode. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But no, but he just came back to my mind again. Where uh, you know he keeps the conversation going. You know, if it'd been me, probably be honest. I was like, if I'm out of that, I ain't speaking to any of those people ever again. Yeah, he's successfully <laughs> transformed and and gotten t- over 200 people from or 200 KKK members to renounce their membership and walk away. And he's a black jazz musician, and he did it yeah. through direct relationships with these individuals. That's insane. Yeah. Like the good this kind. A, no, no. Insane, yeah. Well, I mean, there's a certain bit of insanity too. Like, hey, I'm a black man. I'm going to walk into a racist center and then start talking to people. But that's, that's, <laughs> that's absurd. And that's, that's the beauty of the name of this show is that's the kind of absurdity that I love to highlight. Everything wait, is absurd. Wait, should I say this is a way to pull the wool off from under our eyes? <laughs> well done. Oh, um, okay. Anyway. Well done. Terrible pun. Well done. Um, uh, uh, but a beautiful point. Yes. Um, <laughs> But no, I, I I think, man, now you've made me forget my, oh I'm yeah, sorry. I don't yeah. think we we realize the potential we have. And honestly, there's, if, if you're someone who's grown up in any sort of Christian conservative denomination um, or conservative, you know, home environment or whatever, you probably have an understanding of humility and pride that is faulty and damaging to some degree. Um, now, Here's what I mean. I don't mean every single conservative home or denomination is guilty of this completely. I'm just saying that you're more likely to have encountered this version of it in that environment. And what what I mean by this is um, you can't say thank you when someone does when you do something nice and have given someone something. You say praise God. You aren't allowed to take credit. You aren't allowed to build yourself up in any way, shape, or form. You're not allowed to think about yourself or the value you bring because all of that is arrogance and pride. Okay, but I'm going to argue back on that too because that's a pet peeve of mine too. That's actually a reverse form of pride. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Same deal. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Yeah, Because you're saying that you're so horrible or you're so whatever that you have to deflect everything. It's really, it's actually a reverse form of getting the same praise that you want, but you're not allowed to take. Yes. Because then you're hoping people will walk out and say, oh, how humble. Yeah, exactly. holy, you know. Yep. Or you're fishing and want something to keep digging because you're deflecting. Yeah, yeah you want them to go, no, 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 no. You really are the best thing since sliced bread. Yep. And this is we're taught that we can't acknowledge the gifts that God has given us or the talents that God has given us or the passion that he's placed on our hearts or directly. And I, and I think this comes in two major forms, right? He's either directly blessed us with them. Cause there are some people that are more talented, you know, out of the gate on, in some areas than others. And then there, like there are people like me that are more comfortable with public speaking easily with no problem. And then there are others who are like, I'd rather die. So, but that, that's a skill that can be learned with enough development practice and, and, um, and exposure to it. Whereas, and then there are others that are given, given these things indirectly or done through hours and years of training. And so God blessing with the energy, the space, the, 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 the passion to pursue something, the dedication. Um, I think part of why I'm so, um, this is going to sound really prideful and probably that culture speaking out of me, but I think part of why I've been able to do so much with relative ease in my life, when I say relative ease, I mean, I don't have to, I haven't had to put in, I've put in a lot of blood, sweat, and tears into things like podcasting and, and content creation in general. Here, and let, let, like, let me say, let me say you, Ryan, let me just say it. The reason why Ryan's been able to do this is because he is really gifted in podcasting. And I'll be the first to say that because I don't understand half of this stuff. He has learned editing, 
He has learned <laughs> time management. He has learned creative content rules and thumbs. He's learned algorithms. He has learned different technologies and processes. Thank he you for the advertisement. <laughs> no, I'm just... Uh, yeah, yeah, no, no, and, but you're and, right. And he probably would be a great consultant. Hint, hint, hint. Yeah. Why don't you try with that? Anyway... But no, I mean, you've used talents and we're, I mean, I'm sitting here as a benefit of that, that talent. I know there's others, our listeners, there's all reason there's a base of absurdity listeners is because you have fought for multiple years to build this thing in an environment that let's just be honest with podcasting is not a thing. Social media, the modern, uh, the, the church has been behind, at least our church has our particular persuasion. I mean, most churches are, but we've been particularly near the tail end of the caboose. And even when people didn't believe in that and everybody thought it should be free or everybody thought you shouldn't have that kind of range of topic or conversation or transparency, you have put, as you said, the blood, sweat, and tears into it. And the reason there's an influential platform that is absurdity, and I get to play a part of that at all, is because you, Tony, other you've you've paved the way you've invested essentially. of yourself. Yeah. You've yeah. invested yourselves and it and that conversation, these conversations you've had. I was a listener of absurdity from the beginning. And we, we've stuck by because that conversation has been influenced. It's it's influenced our life in some way. And there's, I know I hijacked that, but I wanted to do it for you so you didn't feel like you had to be whatever, but I'm just praising. We are all beneficiaries of you using those gifts and talents for others. And we know that your heart's in it for that because you opened this episode even by unscriptingly showing us that's where your heart is because you keep trying to adapt it and adjust it for the benefit of those listening. And that's why you have influence. And that's why we love you. That's going to be the nicest thing anyone says to me until after I'm dead. So I appreciate the kind words, Henry. Um, no, and, and, morbid. and I, I know, but I really do appreciate that. And, and, and I agree. Um, and the reason I even bring any of that up or you bring any of that up, uh, without you knowing that that's why I, I, I fished you into bringing it up is because uh, you played me. I actually think so. There's a, there is a reality to the fact that I have been able to pick up a lot of that information pretty quickly that I can adapt and learn new things really quickly. And I think that's a really an act of mercy on God's part because I have ADHD and Lord knows I can't actually spend hours and hours and hours on one, <laughs> one single task. Um, that's just the bottom line. I think that there's a lot of the Jack of all trades, master of none in me, that is a direct result of mercy uh, in response to the deficiencies that I, that just are the abnormalities, not deficiencies. Um, Cause I don't see ADHD as a deficiency. Um, I think there's trained language there, but um, which is why that, that slip happens, but I don't, I just see it as different. And there are some disadvantages, but there's also some amazing advantages that come with that. And this podcast exists because of those advantages. So, right, um, you, you can't you can't control the deck of cards handed to you, but you can't control how you play them. Correct. And that's that's I mean, poker in a nutshell is basically winning with cards that you don't have. Right, we're like, bluffing. Mm -hmm. the poker. That's is, why I got on. That's how I got into absurdity, folks. I just bluffed that I had mm -hmm. something worth saying, and I got I got Ryan to say sure. Yeah, but I think I think all of us are already, and this is this is something that that you touched on with relational influence, but all of us are already using influence. Whether we know it or not, acknowledge it or not, or care to admit it or not, all of us are already using our voice for something, right? I mentioned in our Ravi Zacharias episode uh, back when we were still A Beautiful Faith, um, I, and you can actually go listen to that on A Beautiful Faith's podcast. Is, is, is that the last one we put on there? Yeah. I was than, just about to say, yeah. or did we record that and it's been changed and they're about to hit it here? No, I think we I think we posted it. If we didn't, it'll be the next episode here. <laughs> um, and if so, I haven't posted it, you're, you're going to um, hear it somewhere, folks. Yes. Just look for it. So, 
Um, I mentioned that that there are critics who say whenever we talk about Ravi Zacharias, whether it's us or just, you know, content creators or journalists, whatever, just general people, they say, you're just trying to make an example out of him. Like he was a flawed man like anyone else. And and you have sins too. And you're just trying to make an example out of him for your own gain or whatever. But my my whole response to that is like, he's already an example. Whether we like it or not, he was already an example. We have to make the decision on what kind of example we want Ravi to to be and have been for us. Yeah, what we take from it. And, well, in a very twisted way, but I would actually apply that same basic, basic, (laughs) the basic understanding of you are already an example. However, you're still alive. So, Henry, you get to decide what kind of example you're going to be. I can change my example if I want. Correct. Yes. And 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 that's that like I can, you influence everybody including yourself until you die at which point you can't influence you but you can influence other people. Still. Correct. And I think and 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 here's the other here's the other thing cuz you could say well I don't do anything I don't say anything I don't you know I don't speak out I you know I tend to listen more. That can more. be an influence too. I was going to say not using your voice is a very very clear method of communication. And what you are silent on sends a stronger message in many cases than what you're actually loud about. Mm -hmm. That's why the church gets so slammed when they don't issue statements in response to things like mass shootings or racist incidents that, that take place in, in national news. That's why, that's why we, we, we prod pastors and and organizations to take stands because, and then people get mad at you when you mention vaccine usage. Yeah, exactly. So both Henry and I are uh, dying slowly of vaccines. So, um, you know, join us because I, I've grown a third nose. It's been great. Yeah. It's a, you smell new smells, uh, every day. Um, your smells, <laughs> you can now smell your smells. That's how actually what I learned is Pfizer means wiser. Hey. I'm waiting for the brain cells to form. <laughs> um, or is that a malignant tumor? I'm not sure. No. <laughs> well, we'll find out one day. Um, <laughs> so yeah, like I think I really do think that like all of us are using influence in some way, shape or form. And I would argue and I think I could make this case pretty strongly that your relational influence that you were already employing is more than I, more than any influence I would ever have via a podcast platform or content creator platform. The amount of influence that you can have in someone's life directly is, is, in, is incredibly powerful, especially through your relationships, because relationships provide trust, space for openness, space for accountability, space for growth. Whereas content creation or just, you know, people with, with, with huge platforms, yes, they can influence and they can change lives and, and certainly, but that's only, only, that is only because the, those that follow their content creators feel like they have built a relationship with them through interacting with their content and, and engaging with their music or following what they say and, and, or, or listening to them when they speak, right? Like you feel like, you know, this, this creator on a deeper level and so you trust them and what they're going to suggest to you. And the same is true of friends and family, that if you have and invest in those relationships and you do so wisely, uh, then you're influencing them. And this is why I had such a, I know I keep talking a lot, but this is why I had such a big thing with the, with, um, the shooting of Ahmaud Arbery and um, the day of the George Floyd, the Amy Cooper incident in, in um, Central Plaza that morning or central central park. Yes, go back and listen to both of those episodes with Tony and Ryan if you don't know what he's referring to here. So, 
the shooting of Ahmaud Arbery was done by two white guys who, and, and Amy Cooper confronted a black guy in, in Central Park. In the park. In, with his dog. I, I'm, I'm trying to remember the first one. The first one was he was, they chased him down with a truck, didn't they? Yeah, in they the chased Ahmaud Arbery down okay, with I'm a rem- truck. Okay, I'm remembering yep. the same incident. Yep. Okay. So my entire, my entire position on those two things is that they, these were moments where internal prejudice was weaponized by external, uh, by external factors or external stimulus. The idea basically being that there are any number of people over the years that could have, every time a little piece of prejudice revealed itself in, in, in the heart of the, uh, is it the, I think it's Travis and his son, McMichael. I think the last name was McMichael. I don't remember exactly. Or Amy Cooper. There are, there are these, these, all these little moments where that prejudice could have been confronted by someone and could have just chipped away at the wall. That is their prejudice internally. And they didn't. And so that that wall just stayed, or that, that prejudice just stayed there. And then all it took was one wrong day, one combination of bad things happening, unrelated, for that prejudice to be weaponized and used against somebody else. That's why well, I think... This it, is, yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, this is the whole thing with character. This is also a, a biblical a biblical thing. I, I preached a sermon once, and I had heard this concept already talked about somewhere else. I think it was... David Ashrick or somebody many years ago, when he was talking about something that seemingly is unrelated, he said, what's the urgency in the Bible? Because everyone's like, the urgency should be Christ is coming soon kind of thing, you know. And, and that tends to be how Christians do urgency. And he had made a tack that I, I later agreed with and tried to preach myself, which was the urgency is your character. Because when the Bible's saying, choose this day whom you will serve, choose today, which, choose today, he was saying, because the you of today doesn't know by the decisions you make if the you of tomorrow will even be in a position to make that same decision, mm. to make that same result. In other words, the urgency in the Bible is neuronic pathways. The urgency is your influence even on yourself. Every action you take is building in a bank, a data bank, if you will, that is directing the direction, the trajectory of your life and your influence on other people. Yeah. Right? You know, using your platform is also as simple as it's kind of like the parable of the talents. Are you influencing yourself positively? Fine. You think you can't influence 9,000 people? Did you influence yourself not to be a bigoted racist? Right? I mean, you know, it's like what... you know, the decisions we make, they, they make actions, and actions repeated enough make habits, and habits make you know, character, lifestyle, the style in which you live your life and the lifestyle that kills character. And like you said, like using those examples, there were, it's kind of that mix where you always hear about this thing and they like, oh, it just suddenly came upon me and I never knew I could do this. Well, and partly I believe them because a lot of us end up finding ourselves places we never thought we would be, but it didn't happen in a vacuum. Right, they were all these itty bitty little decisions, like you said, that led up to the point where an external stimuli could weaponize it. Mm-hmm. Right. Nobody just gets in a truck and drives down the road and starts chasing after a guy. And they're like, yeah, we're just going to cap him, you know, and nobody's just in the park with their dog. And then all of a sudden it's like, yeah, because he's black, I'm going to call the cops and say that he's being aggressive and doing stuff to me. Right. And and these kinds of things. But there had to be all sorts of little things that led up to that point that either made them think it was OK to stalk someone in a vehicle or guns are the answer to everything that. I mean, you know, it's kind of that, and it's touched so many issues, you know, like guns and everything else. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I have no shame in telling people I I am, you know, make fun of me because I grew up in the South or not or whatever. I grew up around weapons, guns. I I have them. and But yet, when I see certain things like this, I know this is the old gun debate and whatever. It's like, I don't, 
I don't go through life immediately thinking the gun's what's going to solve something. But that's because I grew up in an environment I recognized that little things led to me knowing there was a certain use for them and there was a not use for them. You know, there was just things you didn't do, but these were things that developed over years, over decades, right? But I could easily see where I could have been in the reverse camp. What if I had been in an environment where they say, oh, you got a problem with this? You just shoot it. You got an issue with this? You just what? It's the little things that would build to the point where I would say, well, I don't think I'd ever do that. And then what happens when I get in a point of crisis this is what they always say. Conflict always reveals character. Yep. Right? A tragedy is always, when you're under pressure, when you're under external pressure, the reality of who you are comes forward because you don't have the data capacity to mitigate that anymore. Yeah. No, I... I a hundred percent agree with you. And I love what you're saying. Cause that was going to be, I think the next place I would go, which is equally as, as important as the people who chose to not do, not to stand up and acknowledge those prejudices in people like Amy Cooper, um, is the fact that there are people who taught them and influenced them that this mm-hmm. kind of outburst or this kind of activity is okay. And that racism is okay to some degree, even if they don't yeah, believe racism that racism is learned. Yeah. Racism yeah. is learned. And the and hatred is learned and the bottom line is whether it was media that influenced whether it was parents whether it was culture whether it was school whether it was friends it doesn't i mean online message boards you name it churches pastors it doesn't you know other church members could be anyone but the bottom line is over the course of their lives they were influenced and and they at some point decided to allow that influence to determine the direction they would go. At the bottom line is, here's what I'm not saying, by the way. I'm not saying that they're absolved of any responsibility or they're the victim of people influencing them the wrong way. Though I do believe that to be true to some extent. You can believe that people who do terrible things or bad things um, are victims of bad things themselves. That's every bully ever. But, that and that that doesn't absolve them of guilt or responsibility because at the end of the day, it's their decision and it's your decision and it's my decision what we do with the influence and the the influencing forces that are in our lives. It's our responsibility to decide at the end of the day. And if we believe those narratives and we believe those people that are influencing us, then that is the decision we've made. That's where we stake ourselves. That's where we plant our flag. And we will either live by it or die by it. And they chose... Both, apparently. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But that, I mean, that's the bottom, you know, that's the bottom line. And 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 I think this is why I think inf- influence, this, this is why conversation is influenced to me is because as long as you keep the conversation going, there is the ability and, uh, and opportunity to influence someone. I think, I'll say this because I wanted to circle back around to this and then I, I, I you know, I, I want to hear from you on, on this, Henry, but Lack of conversation and the ability to walk away from a convert from a physical conversation is a way of continuing the conversation. Because when you can recognize, when you can recognize that your anger, that your feelings or whatever are are becoming to a point that you can't control them or that they're overtaking the amount of care that you have for the other person, you walking away is you preserving your value of the other person. It's preserving your feelings and care and and and, and emotions towards that person. And it's also giving you the chance to say, because I care about you so much, I care enough about you that I want to, I want to, I want to basically pause these and process what I'm feeling before I come back to this. And even more so when someone's being belligerent or when someone is not listening to what you're saying out of that depth, you know, out of that, that deep level of care for another individual, 
walking away can be the biggest form, uh, or can be a form of conversation because that in itself sends the message that you as someone who cares about them believe that whatever choice they're making or whatever they're doing is um, incredibly unhealthy and you are saying by your action that you will not stand by and watch it happen. Yeah, it's a form of, this is one thing that's always bugged me within religious circles is this idea that you can't walk away or you can't confront somebody on something because everyone always uses the phrase, well, you got to love them. And I'm like, enabling unhealthy and destructive toxic behavior is not loving someone. Thank you. All right, episode's that's over. That's, yeah. <laughs> that's it. We're done, just, everyone. Pack it up. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah, we're done. But I mean, th that's what it is. I say, you know, when we hear people talk about in the way churches have done it, where people are getting abused, like a woman's in an abusive situation, or even a guy, because I realize abuse can happen both ways, but... But, you know, they're in an abusive situation and they'll run to the church or something and the church is like, yeah, you need to go back with them and be faithful. I was like, I was like, leaving them is the best form of love right now, not just for the victim, but to tell these people this toxic behavior is unacceptable. You know, you've got to do something that influences it, influences them in a way that they have apparently not gotten any other way. I mean, it's it can be a win-win. It's not a win-lose all the time, like you said, but we got to stop enabling stuff. Mm -hmm. That's that's another, I mean, our society's wrestling with that too. There's ways to still allow people freedom of expression and the freedom of their beliefs without enabling toxicity to damage themselves and other people. Well, and that's that's something I find interesting with drug addicts. I, I, I do frequent um, online message boards like Reddit quite a bit. And yes, I've you're read, a Reddit read quite a amount, uh, quite, quite, a, quite a lot of stories about drug addicts. Why am I talking like this? Um, I, I don't know. I, why but I have so I, weird, like what I love about sudden. Reddit is I have been exposed to the stories of people that I would have never been exposed to ever. I've I perspectives that I would have never dreamed existed. It's an expose of and an that can be both situation. a good and a bad thing. There are things that I wish I'd never seen, and there are things that I'm really glad and and have really trans actually honestly transformed me for the better because I learned hey, to the think conversation about things of Reddit has influenced absolutely, and I've allowed it to because uh, that was my choice. Um, but dr I've, I've seen several, almost every time drug addiction comes up and, and someone either coming out of it or, you know, not yet coming out of it, someone asking for advice on how to help their friend and all, and you'll suddenly see all these comments like former drug addict here, walk away because it wasn't until, and they'll, they'll say this pretty consistently. And I'm not saying this is for every drug addict, right? but they realized that it wasn't until everyone was gone that they realized they had nothing left to lose. That, yeah, that sometimes you have to let people reap their consequences before yep. they can get help. And that was what, they were like, we did not know we were at rock bottom until we had no support left. And they were at rock bottom long before the final piece of support left, but they didn't realize it until there was nowhere left to turn. Because there was always an out. There was some yep, sort of there was always factor, yeah. There was always a safety net. As long as someone enabled them, there was always a safety net. And it wasn't until every single net removed itself that that person, rehab, didn't work, nothing would work. They would always relapse because of the safety net. Um, that is, until that person decides for themselves that they will no longer let this be, a, be you know, that, that they want something different for their life more than, what they, more than what they're addicted to. The bottom line is it will stick around for the most part in some way, shape, or form. And that's why that's so important. Like walking away is a conversation. It's a way of prolonging it. It's a way of sustaining it. And it's an act of, of speaking itself. That's why now, I, I, yeah. I, 
I would throw out there that when you do walk away, you need to at least give some sort of indication as to why. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, you're not just like, and, and yeah, I, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, yeah, you yeah. don't just be like, I'm done with you and just walk, you know. I mean, it, and even if they don't hear you, it's probably still good to be like, listen, I, we can continue this later. I, I need to step away right now or I'm going to do something I regret or this isn't going to go well for us or what, just give me some space. You, you need to try something. If they don't listen to you then, then that's something. But don't just flip around and be like, screw you. Yeah. No, 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 I agree. You, you, I mean, you need to specify Unless, of why. course, the disclaimer here is if you're in an abuse situation where they're physically assaulting you or something, then just leave. Yeah, just, just yeah, I agree. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm not We I'm say not that like that's easy, like, but we're, what we're saying is uh, at that point, at that point, they've shown that they don't care about you more or more than their own anger or frustration or feelings or whatever. Yeah, it doesn't matter what you say at that point. Um, just, and the biggest, the biggest way to stand up for yourself is to walk away in those, in those instances. So yeah, I, I, I would agree. Get, and, and, Find help. I know that that we just oversimplified that process of leaving. I get that that's scary, um, and both of us would be a little bit out of our depth the further we go on that topic. So, um, but I do think that yes, walking away and doing so while being a while uh, while being firm and being assertive, not being aggressive, but being assertive about why you're walking away. And what is exactly happening that's causing it, whether that is your own emotions, whether that's because of a certain thing that's happening with them and, and always affirming that it's because you care, um, that you're doing this because at the bottom line, the, the bottom line is when rock bottom hits and when that person, if, cause it's, it's an, if it's not a, when there are some people that ultimately they choose to reject the influence of you walking away and still choose whatever path they were on. Um, I've lost several friends because of that, not to like suicide or or drug addiction, but just in general, I've lost a lot of relationships because of because of moments like that in my life. And um, but the bottom line is they've got to call somebody when they're ready to turn around. And that's why walking away and letting them know that it's out of care and and you know, just leaving of getting you know, keeping a foot in the door in a way that isn't a safety net. you're you've set a you've you've established firm boundaries and you will not let them take advantage of you. And there are specific criteria and that you that you set in in place that you put in place in order to protect yourself and protect them, but ultimately, um, that can be the biggest form. You never know when they're going to call. It could be tomorrow. It could be ten years from now. It could be five years from now. It could be a week. It, it really it depends on the person and the situation and where they're at. But man, the way that I know that walking away was a way, was an act of prolonging a conversation is if you've always left room for that conversation to continue, should they, should they call you again? And I should, and I should maintain that the long, that every single day you go without talking to someone and withholding that is conversation because you are still sending a message that you are, that you are standing firm. You are still communicating something to them by the fact that you were standing your ground and holding to your boundaries. So yes, I think walking away is one of the biggest forms of conversation that can exist when done correctly. And there's our next absurdity nugget. We'll just cut it up. Yeah, right, exactly. This Um, series will continue. Now, I I think, Henry, what what would you say are, I'm curious to know if if there are anything that you think are problems or, or, or... uh, obstacles that that keep people and keep us or keep you even. I mean, is there anything that has kept you from effectively using your voice or or leaning into it a little bit more? Like, you know, is there anything that you would identify that way? Oh yeah, fear and self preservation. Ah, that's what I had. <laughs> ah, ah, <laughs> uh, to well, some degree. Tough. I mean, yeah, we yeah, yeah we well, I mean we scare we ourselves all have it. it to some various degree. Yep. Yeah, because and and this is 
and from a, again a Christian perspective, this is a faith perspective where it gets hard, and this is why we know that we have to have an external force that assists us. The the force, I mean, a personage, the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. to to do that. But you know, there is always that fear. A lot of the reason why we don't do stuff is what is the the is the cost to me going to be greater than I'm willing to bear? Mm. And and then the fear because we don't have, it's the unknown. Some of us may genuinely want to help somebody, but we we don't want to burn everything that's ours with the risk that it will not be reciprocated or nothing will change out of it. Mm. So in other words, you burn your platform to the ground. You make a stand on some controversial thing like mask wearing or vaccines or whatever the latest thing is or white supremacy or whatever. You go make your stand and then the fear is what if it changes nobody? So in other mm. words, you have this idea, I'm going to make this big risk. I could lose my job. I could lose my influence or, or you know, get shamed on social media, whatever. I'm going to do this thing. And what if I did all of that and I see no change? Mm. So then I just, did I self-emulate myself and nothing took place? Yeah. Right. Yep. I, I mean, it, it's, a, it's a great risk. And the problem is, is I mean, we, we know this about a lot of stuff, investing, everything else. The greater the risk, well, I want to be careful with investing because then somebody's going to go do something dumb with like Bitcoin. But I'm just saying, or altcoins in general. Too late. I already have. It, yeah, I know. I know. I still own a Litecoin. I hey, we both that. own one Litecoin. I'm here for it. Yeah. I, well, here's, here's where I feel dumb. I bought, Side note on this topic. I bought a Bitcoin and a Litecoin years ago. Like back when they first came out, like a decade ago or whatever, as a joke, I paid like three cents a piece for both of them or something like that. And I got rid of the Bitcoin when it was worth a dollar because I thought that was cool. And I kept the Litecoin. Everyone for some has reason. this story. Everyone has this story. Yeah. And I look at them both now and I'm like, I am a moron. That's every, yeah. Right. I, that's, this is why I'm not in Wall Street. I mean, you know, you're not a moron. I still though, because li- no one knew. No, and even the people no, that I, believed I it were like people that were just fully uh, sold out on it. Like they, they were convinced, but like that doesn't mean that make them smart. It just means that they took a risk and it paid off. Well, that's true. Now, in my defense, I guess I still have the Litecoin. And what is it up to? Like at the time of recording, it was like, 180 bucks now or something like that. Yeah, it's around 200. So, it, fl- it fluctuates yeah, every so day. From, yeah, it's, it's fluctuating all over the place. So like three cents to 180, I guess, you know, woohoo, that's <laughs> free money until they tax it. But, you know, now it's a joke to me. I'm just going to hold it. I was like, you know, if it ever gets up to where Bitcoin is, I'll probably liquidate it. But anyway. Nice. All right, back no, to the point. No, no, yeah, you're the right. point I was yeah. talking about. Uh, the risk, greater risk is reward. And the other thought, since I'm just, my brain's bouncing all over with, with memories. Talk about, you know, great risk to yourself and not knowing, because again, we're all, it's okay to admit it even as religious folk. We're selfish people. I mean, I, I'll be willing to admit I'm a selfish individual. God's still working on me in that way. And I like some sort of benefit in whatever I do. I can try and be altruistic. I can always try and do whatever, but you still want to know, well, what's in it for me? That That's still just, it's there. And, you know, a story that comes to my mind talking about self-emulation, where I was going before Bitcoin and Litecoin and altcoins was, was the idea of the Vietnam War. Mm. And you might remember one of the most famous incidents of that, of civil resistance among the Vietnamese, was a Buddhist monk who doused himself in kerosene, I think it was, or something, some flammable liquid, I think it was kerosene, in a major intersection in Saigon and lit himself on fire. Oh, whoa. Have you never heard of this? No. Oh, wait, yes, I have. Yes, I have. It's a very famous image with him standing yeah, 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 there, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, not yep. screaming or anything, yep. and he, he he burned himself to death. He emulated himself. I do himself. remember that. I'm sorry. Yes, I was thinking of something else. Yes. Okay, you were good. We're good. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, and I mean, he died. He didn't know if his thing did anything. 
I mean, talk about a risk. He has no clue if it's going to make a change, and he won't be alive to find out. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, he's he's dead. And he fried himself alive. And that act, because it happened to be, you know, there was reporters nearby, and he kind of waited till he saw anybody near and then, you know, took the risk and and I mean, I wasn't in his head and I wasn't alive then, so I don't I don't know what was going on. But he did that and it totally changed public perception, at least in the West. And many people start crediting it to one of several big things that just started brought about the end of the war in in many ways, or at least American involvement in it. And and this kind of goes to my point again. The reason I was thinking about that is this guy took extreme risk at the sake of himself. Yep. This wasn't just him losing social capital, right? He lost his life. And you can agree or disagree with him. That's not the point I'm trying to make. And you can say whether that was dumb or not. But it, it reminds me of that biblical principle. He who's willing to lay down his life for his friends. And you can go, well, he wasn't thinking about friends or the country or whatever. But th this person was willing to put it all on the line, literally, and died. Mm -hmm. Trying to, to, to make that difference. That's, that's, again, the risk that goes into it. But most of us will never end up, and myself probably included. I mean, I just don't know the future. But... I will probably not end up like a monk emulating myself in a in a street. And I'm not even talking about emulating it that way. Most of us are terrified to socially emulate ourselves. Mm. Like, you'll still be alive, but I burned my social media presence to the ground. Or, And I'm not saying doing something wild and crazy, but I'm just saying these are the risks we take. I, you know, I can speak personally just uh, in the last couple of weeks. My, my day job is, is a minister, a, a pastor, clergy. And, you know, we've, COVID's been a very interesting experience. We've talked about this, but now there's vaccine drives going on. And I remember that, you know, you talk about literally the bully pulpit or whatever, <laughs> I have an announcement period. And I stood up as the minister, as the authority in that local community. And I made a comment a couple of weeks ago from the front in the announcement period. I thought that was my balance instead of the sermon. But I, I made an announcement because I had just gotten my first Pfizer vaccine shot. Mm. And I know there's a lot of paranoia and concern and whatever about them. And, and you know, I, I, in a sense, I took a risk. And I, and I stood up and I said, well, I can't tell you what to do, but just know I've taken the first shot of whatever, and I'm thankful for that opportunity. And, and I said, and so I want to encourage all of you make wise choices with your doctors and with, you know, that's the new phrase I've gone to now because I've realized a lot of people, when they have conspiracies and stuff, instead of fighting that, I just go, have you talked to your doctor about it? And most of them, I, mean, I was like, listen, I don't care what the YouTube personality says. Did you talk to a physician? You if know, your vaccination but, lasts longer than four hours, call the doctor. Yeah, yeah. And insert your own joke here. Offer void in Wisconsin. So anyway, <laughs> the point, right. So specific. Yeah, do not offer it. I, I know, don't operate heavy machinery. Uh, you know, they always have that big long list. But, but the point is, and, and I said that, and then here's where I really took the risk. I knew we, we're a multi-ethnic church, which I love. And I know that the African-American community has been very resistant to the vaccine drive. Mm. And it's not so much just because of the vaccine, but because of a lot of loaded medical history in the United States with African-Americans being basically taken advantage of and abused by the medical system. By the government, and by doctors, by nurses, by yeah, you name by, it. Yeah, by everything. The, 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 the Tuskegee experiment was the first thing that came to my mind, which for those of you who don't know, look it up. Long story short, where they basically, the government promised health care to like a couple thousand uh, African-American men and then started injecting them with syphilis on purpose mm -hmm. to run vaccine experiments and, and then just never treated them and let all these guys die with it. And, you know, I could see how that would really make you distrustful of, hey, I'm just going to show up at the hospital and have them stick a needle of an experimental thing in me. 
So, I mean, I get that, but I decided to use my influence and I opened my mouth and I brought up the Tuskegee experiment and just spent about three, five minutes talking about some of these things and said, I realize it, but as Christians, we're called to try and do the best we can for our communities. So again, I'm not telling you what to do, but please just prayerfully have conversations with your doctors, your medical personnel, your families, and try and make wise choices as we're beginning to come out of the pandemic and go to some form of new normal. And I said that, and I even said that not expecting it to be that great a risk. And I can tell you, I got a lot of pushback for doing I that. I believe it. I had a lot of people, the two things I got was people that said, how dare you start pushing vaccines from the front? I was like, oh, I didn't know I had so many anti-vaxxers. And I don't even know if it was anti-vaxxers. It was just the politics around COVID, too. There's just so much stuff bought up in it. But there were people like, I hear about it all during the week. I didn't come to church to hear you talking about it. <laughs> And then I had the other people that's like, why'd you bring race into this? And why are you talking about, ex my kids didn't need to hear about syphilis experiments with black people. And, and I was like, well, <laughs> you know, and, but I, and I bring up all that to say that is not to praise me. Like, good job, Henry, using your influence. I, I caught myself when I started getting all the pushback, initially regretting having said anything. Wow. There, there was part of me where I was like, man, what an, it's not worth it. I shouldn't have said. And then I caught myself and I said, why am I saying it's not worth it? Mm. Right. I, I had to do a self-examination. And and when I started thinking about it, I was not saying vaccines weren't worth it. My belief still in the vaccine was there. You know, I mean, I get it's a personal choice, but I had personally chosen that. My belief in trying to look out for public health and my neighbors, and I get we can have different beliefs about how that is best achieved. But for me, my personal belief was still the same. My newfound knowledge, because I had spent the week before researching stuff, I like the Tuskegee experiment, I knew nothing about that prior to the week before. Mm. You know, I was trying to start researching why are my African-American family members in the faith family resistant and why I don't have that experience of what's going on. So I had to start studying all of these things, you know, even back to where they were using slaves as medical experiments for things. And, and you know, so I, I had to... I had to do a lot of listening. I had to ask a couple of my African-American members who were old enough to remember when doctor's offices here in the South, you had one hour in the late afternoon to show up for your appointments when all the white people cleared out. Uh, you know, or I've talked to some members that they'd went to the hospital and they happened to be black when they were having their babies. And they wouldn't give, when they talked about pain, they wouldn't give some of these African-American women certain meds because they just thought they're black, so they're drug addicts and they don't need certain things. And yet when you're white and you go in, they'll just give you a, you know, a, a stem shot or whatever, right in the, uh, an epidural or whatever they call yeah. that, right up in that, you know? And so I, I didn't know, I had to do a lot of listening. I had to do a lot of research and I came back and I said, oh, I still believe you just this. Love I that. Still two, think that was two, wrong. Two guys just breezed through the whole pregnancy thing. Like clearly we've never, never been got, pregnant yeah, or, never, like, or ever will be. Yeah, like, yeah. well, I mean, just clearly we've never even experienced childbirth in any significant way, shape, or form other than through TV. <laughs> and epidural is or, the or only... Or us coming into the world. Or emergency yeah. C-section. That's all I got. Also, for some uh, reason, there needs to be a basin of hot water. I don't know why, and a towel. Um, <laughs> I, I, that's all I got. And I know they have to cut the cord. Yeah. You know, the umbilical cord. And oh, then I thought I had to, to bring the, the right rope direction. with me for them to cut. They're, you're telling me that... Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, anyway, ladies, just wanted we to, apologize to all ladies listening now that are like, wow, yeah, you guys nope, are, Just anyway. wanted to call attention to that fact. We are we are not professionals when it comes to that. Yeah. Anyway, so that... But it's also a good segue, like, Henry, wrap it up. So anyway, the point is, None of that had changed. My only now hesitancy at the end was the blowback I was receiving, and I didn't like the perception that I was now unpopular or people didn't like me. Mm. 
And that's a really sad thing to realize because it makes you feel like a coward to go to really think that I could believe something like that and I could want to do something that, I mean, I can be wrong, but to the best of my knowledge at that time, I thought was best for others. And even as a thought leader in a community, I was willing to shut up for four or five people because that's it. It was only like four or five people that told me, but you always embody whatever the people that talk to you are, not the... Again, remember silence. We talked about silence is influence too. If you have 120 people in a room, five people tell you you suck and the other ones don't say anything, you can begin to believe that the five are representative of the other 120. Yep. Right? It's not about just go praise people, but I'm, I'm just saying you, you will latch on to the ones that are in your, again, influence of conversation. They're the only ones that talk. Decisions are made by those that show up. So I got this pushback and I was cowering enough to go, I don't think the risk reward is worth it. Yeah, it was almost like I didn't care. I was like, it'd almost be better for other people not to be vaccinated or people to be scared than me to have to feel uncomfortability because five people are mad at me. And that's that's sad. Yep. But it's I think it's again, it's that fear and shame that trap us from using our influence effectively. Yeah, I mean, I would say that a lot of my paradigm shifts have come from being influenced by voices that I've I've started to listen to both in my own life and just just from other you know, other people with influence. I, I, what you're sharing with me just now reminds me of uh, a recent interview I watched uh, with Seth Godin, who is a marketing guru, wrote The Art of Marketing, The Practice, really all about marketing, create content creation, shipping, creative work, you know, all of that. And one of the interviews that he did, he ended with a story of him speaking in Mexico City to a crowd of, I, I, he's, he threw out the, both the number 4,000 and 3,000 at some point. Um, so it was one or the other. Um, but he was basically saying like, look, I flew out there. They were paying me thousands of dollars to speak at this event. And Seth Godin's a genius. Let me just say that first. And, and really just amazing. Someone that's amazing to listen to that also looks like that old dude from those old six flag commercials that would the bus driver that would like suddenly start dancing when he gets off the bus. He looks like that, but like 10 that, years that younger is a visual I have not had since look the up 90s. Seth Godin and you will glasses and the ball yep, head. Yep. And look up go, Seth Godin and, 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 and you'll and understand Bugs bunny bouncing immediately. Um, I mean, he was like space jam before space correct. jam because they had all the, that was the first app. Those were the first cartoons when the, the, Looney Tunes characters would be on in the bus with him. Yeah, right? yep, I remember that too. Yep. yep. So, Ugh. so Seth Godin is is telling this story about he was speaking in Mexico City, and he had this sense of entitlement because all of these people were there to listen to him, and he wanted to he wanted to impress, and he wanted to 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 really knock it out of the park. And he said that that like four rows back in this crowd of or three rows back in this crowd of three or four thousand people, this woman answered her phone in the middle of his talk and was just on the phone, not on her phone, literally talking on the phone, having a full blown, normal speaking voice conversation in the middle of his talk. And he decided in the middle of that talk to focus on her and say, I'm going to talk to her. How dare she do this to me? How dare she not pay attention when I've come all this way to do this thing that people are paying me to do. How dare she be this disrespectful to me? And then in the same, in that same talk, he realized, how dare I be so disrespectful to the, this is where the 3000 number came. How dare I be so disrespectful to the 2,999 other people that are here quietly to listen to me for me to focus on the one person who isn't. Mm. 
How ungrateful and disrespectful am I to focus on the one person that doesn't care? And so he's like, for the rest of that talk, I decided I would talk to everyone else instead. And I would talk to someone who cared. And wow. he focused on a completely different person in the audience, and, he, and he, did, he focused on bringing the highest value he could. I got chills saying that. I'm going to say I needed to hear that because I was actually debating having to say something about vaccines again in my church. <laughs> I was thinking of the three people I was wanting to keep from complaining. Yeah, but, but like that, that in itself is a, like we, we get in our own heads and we, mm-hmm. we are the biggest thing, biggest obstacle from using our voice effectively for the reason that we want to, I, would, I should say. We are always using it effectively, I think. It's just what effect are we having? Yeah, um, what, what thing are you communicating but I, effectively? But I think, um, I just think we are so much more, I think we have so much more potential than, than we accept and will realize. And I think the first part, and if I could encourage anyone this way as, as we're coming to a close here, I would say that, man, the, the, the first thing that I would say is if you can learn to love and embrace what makes you you, for me, it's my ADHD. It's the fact that all my life I've been told, you're, you're a lot. Um, why can't you sit still? Why can't you stand up straight? If you can learn to begin to love and accept yourself and what makes you you, that's where you find your voice. Your voice already exists. It's already being used. But now you can find it, you can own it, you can, and you can use it to make a real positive difference. And I think that's, that's really why I wanted to have this, you know, I, I suggested this topic. I don't think I fully realized how far I would go into it when, when we suggested it a couple of weeks ago as we were planning. But I, you know, I just think in the same vein that conversation is influence, I think we need to have the conversation with ourselves. And as long as mm-hmm. we can keep that conversation with ourselves going, then we can influence ourselves to become more and to really do everything that we were called to do with the voice and the talents, the passions and the skills that we've been blessed with and that we've worked so hard for. Um, so yeah, that's, I, I don't know if I agree 100, I agree 100% with what you just said. I couldn't say it. Better. Um, I probably could, uh, if I had time to script it, uh, <laughs> <laughs> conversation is influence. Uh, it's because it's not scripted that it, I, yeah, conversation is influence. And the conversation you're having with yourself is probably it, not even probably, it is the most important conversation. Um, because that that yeah that's it. I think I'm I think I'm gonna leave it there. Henry, I'm gonna say yeah. That's, do you do you want to do you want to share anything else at this point? Do you want to leave anyone with anything? I I I, I want to leave them with what you just said. I think that's a good. Just the way you began it with that transparency and you end it with that same transparency. I mean, if I had to throw out anything, just kind of to be us. But if you're struck that conversation with yourself, if you're struggling even with that, then you know find some professional help. Yes. That's kind of a, a thing we come back to every now and then. Your emotional well-being is vital to you having that conversation with yourself and others. You know, our society prized IQ for a long time and then realized none of us had EQ and we needed to really catch up on that. Uh, EQ and IQ also both go into your ability to influence. But yeah, uh, have that conversation with yourself, then have it with others and, you know, make the most of it because we're all influencing somebody. Yep. Just make make the most of it. Don't waste it. So with that, thank you everyone for listening, for being on this journey with us. Thank you for dealing with my entitlement and, and issues that I've had to work with over the last few years. And for thank you for dealing with Henry's puns uh, as well. Uh, we appreciate you. <laughs> now, we love you. We, we hope this episode has been sufficiently absurd for you. And we'll see you next week. 